Hello, GradCast listeners. If you like our show and want to come hang out with us, come on out to our trivia event on September 19th, 7 p.m. at the Grad Club on Western Campus. The theme is Netflix and chill, so study up on your favorite shows and movies, and we'll see you there. radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Clabotini. I'm your co-host, Carly Sharon. And here we are with Natalia Parra. Thank you for being here, uh, Natalia. <laughs> Hello, Clara. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. So, Natalia, can you explain a bit what is your research, which, um, which field are you in, and what led you there? Yeah, so, well, the research is basically in anthropology, in the field of sociocultural anthropology, and my working has been on refugees, especially from um, Colombia in Canada, and how they navigate the refugee, the Canadian refugee and asylum adjudication process. And I've been focusing on the experience of women, especially, uh, because they can, you know, have like a different experiences than different than men or you know other non-binary populations. Interesting. I never thought that being a woman, at least for immigration, I was hoping that everything will be equal on the same base. I never thought that we, there would be some gender discrimination. So can you elaborate a bit on that on what is going on? Why may women be maybe more discriminated? Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't say like in the first hand discrimination. I would say it's just a different experience because you know like it's a it's like the gender role that society assume for for women so for instance uh in the during during my research i realized how they experience the process in the way like uh in my interviews they always relate themselves as a mothers rather than another person so they 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 always focus on I'm a mother, and if we did that, it's because we want the best future or we want something better for our children. And it's interesting to see like how they like that's the gender role, right? The maternity and all the stuff. And also, um, like for instance, another another example I have, um, some of them when they came to Canada for them it's easier to find a job because the jobs they find are more real are more related to their gender so for instance cleaning and stuff like that so it's easier so i wouldn't say it's a discrimination i would say it's like a different experience um and and it's because you know all the constructions about gender and about what's the meaning of being a woman and what's the meaning of being a racialized woman as are colombians so i i think it's it's a different experience yeah no of course it's i came with my own bias on that so my bad um yeah. So maybe I was wondering, so as international students, I have some experience with immigration, but not as a refugee. Could you explain a bit to me what is the process of uh, immigration as a refugee and what is going on and what may be the differences with regular immigration? Yep. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, okay, I'm going to talk specifically about Canada. So there are 
going, there are two ways to become or to be a refugee in the Canadian uh, legal system. So the first one is the program that uh, the government has. So they select people from, you know, refugee camps or countries where there are uh, like high conflict situations. For instance, Ukraine is the best example right now I can think of. So that's that's um, like the program, like the government brings that people over, over the country or the government allows um, like private or non-profit organizations to do it. So they are considered refugees under the um, 1951 legislation um and and the and the government you know brings them with the permanent residence and you know all the programs um open to resettlement so that's one part of the program for uh refugee protection in canada the other one and the like i would say the most popular in the i don't know 10 years ago it's the um refugee and asylum adjudication system which is basically if you think you can you can be fit into the convention of refugees or under the convention or under the uh, protected person um, definition in Canada you can apply for refugee so for example refugee protection so basically you come to any border it doesn't regardless it doesn't matter you come to any border any border through the, the the canadian the canadian side and you ask for being a refugee so with that um process you have to feel like uh, some steps so first you have to ask for refugee protection but it doesn't mean you are going to be considered under the refugee convention it means you have to go through a process and the uh, cornerstone of that process is um, the oral hearing which is basically a hearing with an adjudicator who decides if your narrative if the reasons why you are asking the refugee protections are i i wouldn't say valid i would say are trustworthy and and under that you can be considered a refugee so after you pass the hearing no you 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 have to pass the hearing everyone has to do it but even if you you can be or approve it or reject it so if you're approved it, you will be considered a protected person or refugee under the canadian legal definition or under the uh, refugee convention if you don't you you basically fail the process so you have to look for another ways to stay in the country look for another country or the canadian um system allows you to go back to your country and yeah basically that that's that's it so there, there are two ways to be considered a refugee so it depends on you know what's the situation and and, and on your specific life because if you, for instance, if you come from an Ukraine or a country with Syria, Palestine, you know, that there are different mechanisms other than um, being an ask for refugee protection.
Yeah, that's really interesting. So you you said that you're focusing on the experiences of Colombian women in particular. Is there a reason you're focusing on this particular group? And can you kind of elaborate on what their kind of main reasons are for seeking refugee status in Canada? Yeah. Yeah, well, first, because I know the army conflict that there are, I come from Colombia, so I know what's, you know, 60 years or of, of army conflict. And um, that, that's the reason why most of the people are fleeing from, from Colombia. But also, uh, if you see the numbers, how the refugee asylum, how, how many people have been through through the refugee asylum in the Americas, Colombia, it's in the third place. Um, first, it's Mexico, then Haiti, and then Colombia. So, um, and it's interesting to see, you know, how like people go to a different place with a different language, with a different culture, with a, like everything different. And, and as I told you before, when I was talking to the women, they were saying, we want to be safe, but also we want to provide a better future for our kids. So um, I, I would say it's mainly the army conflict Colombia still has, even though Colombia went to a peace process and, you know, try to overcome all the war and conflict. Still, there are, you know, human right, human right violations. Still, there are like all the rates of dangerous and violent country. So people are trying to be safe from that. And, and, and also I would say uh, people want to get like a second chance of life, but not only in the way of being safe, but also on the way that, you know, being worthy of, of you know, get um, like, hell, uh, like housing, uh, you know, health programs, like, you know, try to overcome all the inequality and poverty that the country has. Yeah, so basically they, they want to live and not just survive. Exactly, exactly. And and, and actually one of the motivations was uh, because people think, and, and especially it was trying to overcome all the bias that exists for the refugees, because people think when you get to a new country, you are safe. Mm-hmm. And in, in some way, yes, that, that's right, like, there's no someone behind you trying to kill you anymore. However, what is the meaning of, of safety? So it's safety just not being chased by anyone or it's safety being able to find a house, to find a job, to find a school for your kids, to be able to you know get food and you know, so, so the experience of these women show how, even though Canada has provided like a, you know, a safe space to start and resettlement, the process has been so, so hard. And, 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 and it's interesting to see how the concept of safety change on them and, and depending, you know, the circumstances of their life, because it's not only be safe from someone, is only be safe in the system that you are currently living. So you escape from a dangerous place, a dangerous situation, whatever it is, 
but you come to a new country when you don't speak the language, but also when you are a racialized person and you don't have the same opportunities and possibilities to thrive and to survive as other people. So it's, it's, it's you know, interesting to see how that is the contrast of what is safety and, and what's the meaning for refugees. Yeah, of course, it, it makes completely sense that, okay, no one is trying to kill you, but you still have to feed yourself, feed your kid and live in an environment that is at least a bit hygienic and you're not going to kill you because of a small disease or something. So, And actually one of the um, concepts um, that I was trying to, to incorporate into my research is um, it's, it's like an anthropological concept. It is called liminality. And in the anthropological sense, it's basically the time between two stages. So when people is going to the through the refugee and asylum adjudication system, they are neither from any place. So they are not Colombian or Syrian or Venezuelan or Haitian or whoever, whatever. They are not anymore because they don't have their ID documents. They they cannot come back to their country. They cannot go outside of Canada. So they don't belong to that side, to that country anymore. So even though in the, I mean, I mean, of course they do. So if they want to come back, the system and all the bureaucracy, they're going to return their documents. However, they flee from some reason so they don't want to go back right so they don't belong to this place but also when you are waiting for the oral hearing you also don't belong to the canadian system so you are in the middle of two stages, and the only thing you can do in the meantime is waiting and that's the other concept i was trying to incorporate and i try to incorporate in my research and is the politics of waiting and how waiting become a domination tool. So it's not only waiting, you know, for, uh, I don't know, a hearing summons. It's like all the implications of waiting. So you don't belong to any place. So you don't have full rights. So you don't have the full possibility to resettlement. And actually, you don't know if you if you are going to be able to do it because you have to pass first for the oral hearing and you have to be approved for 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 you know for think about it. So you cannot make plans for your future. You can you are just waiting. So that's 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 really difficult and that's part of the experience of being an asylum claimant or refugee claimant. So, um, and then after you get the uh, final, the summons, uh, summons hearing, and then you go to the oral hearing, you also have, you know, like try to prove the narrative you have is trustworthy. And, and that's another thing. That's another, I wouldn't say problem. I would say that's another tough step because you have to prove the narrative. So the oral hearing, basically, it's divided in three. Um, the, the adjudicator, the uh, base, hair, or his decision on three positions. The first one 
is the narrative. So it has to be straightforward. It has to be so straight, but that's problematic. So if you, for instance, some uh, trauma scholars have noticed how when you are telling some trauma stories, there's always gaps. There's always you know, different things that you will say depending on the time. And it doesn't mean it's not real. It didn't happen. So they compare the ref the, the oral hearing, the refugee hearing with the uh, victim of rape. So the victim of rape, she has to tell her story or their story, let's say their story in difficult in, in different times with different people and the history never going to be the same and it doesn't mean it wasn't real so that's the first thing for the oral hearing the refugees has tried to you know convince the other person what that what they are saying is truth and but that's problematic because they are telling a narrative of trauma and it's not only and that's something that i want to really be clear on my thesis it's it's not only the history of trauma of being you know what happened in their home country it's also a, how you have to flee how you face a new society how you are waiting for two months one year five years so and and that's the point right talking a little bit about the waiting you don't know what to expect because you don't know for how long you have to expect. So I had women who expect five years for an unhearing decision. So five years, you are hold on your life, your future. You don't have any possible way to escape for it. So coming back to the hearing, um, so that that's the trauma part of the people have to, you know, try to to express so there was another concept I used for my thesis and it was the hermeneutics of suspicion and it's basically when the adjudicator who is the person deciding if you narrative is trustworthy or or not if you can be considered as a refugee or not um the way he or she asks the questions are always trying to make you fail. Or oh, that's the women's words. So the question is not like, uh, I don't know, tell me what happened. It's there's something else you want to share with us. Um, I don't know. No, it's always like trying to, okay, tell me more. But if you were saying it was cloudy and it was raining, why when you got home, you were, your, your hair was still dry? Like that kind of tricky questions that always make you feel like, so do you want me to say another thing? And that was something that in my interviews always appear. The women always narrate how the adjudicator was trying to make you say another thing. And actually I had a, a really good example when the adjudicator started asking her brother-in-law, no, son-in-law, he made a mistake in his birthday. So the adjudicator words were like, oh, it's only have been 30 minutes and you're already lying. So they, 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 they consider that people are lying. And that's another point, right? Because in every judicial system in the world, every judicial system, 
the person is always um, innocent until the state proves the opposite. In this specific system, you are, I wouldn't say guilty because you are not guilty of anyone, of anything, but, but you, are, you are lying until you prove the opposite. So that's, that's, that's the kind of game that plays. And that's why I use the hermeneutics of suspicion because that's how people relate it. And so that's the first thing regarding the narrative you have to prove. The second thing the adjudicator based her or his decision on, it's the proofs you have. So that's good. But what happened when people can get the proofs because they are escaping from a place and they, they cannot get they cannot come back to get documents. They can even if you are escaping from the state, because the state can be the actor who is persecuting you, you cannot go and ask them, can I get a password, please? I just want to flee. You, you cannot do that. So the, the, the proofs are, are, are also so tricky. So what about if you don't have anyone there to send you proof? So your narrative, it's no, it's, it's no, it's no good as if you have proofs, but, but the problem is, again, you, sometimes you cannot show them. So that's, that's the other thing. And the third thing the adjudicator base her or his decision on, it's uh, there's like a book uh, the government has, and it's called the document national documentation package. And this book has all the possible conflicts around the world. So the adjudicator goes to the book and sees, for instance, oh, Syria, yeah, there's a conflict over there. So that makes people flee. And, and that's good because, you know, it has been built by uh, unit nations reports and amnesty reports and, you know, all the, all the reports. And that's good. However, the adjudicator based his or her decision on their subjectivity. So if your narrative was good enough, if you were able to present proofs and the national documentation package says, okay, this is maybe a conflict. So maybe we can accept you as a refugee. Other than that, you, you are done. So that's that's kind of the process that's that, that the we that the people face. And that's one I wanna I wanna basically understand from the woman's perspective how they feel that um and and during the hearing i also found a relevant literature and information how some questions are biased regarding gender so i got for instance a woman and she went to the process for a gender violence and it wasn't accepted as a as a as a true or as a as a real reason why being considered a refugee and 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 you can see and maybe that's discrimination because you can see how being i mean being a woman everywhere it's it's dangerous but being a woman in latin america is is really dangerous so so it's you know the bias about all the conceptions 
gender and how we should act or how we, we should assume some circumstances of our life. So, you know, it's like also there's some bias and, you know, gender conceptions, but also racial conceptions, right? So, and that was something that I tried to incorporate and discuss on my thesis, how this process, this system also works as an immigration filter. So the idea, you know, that Canada has an open system, it's, you know, like, well, it, everyone is welcome, can be, can be just, you know, try to think critically about that, can be just, I wouldn't say criticize if that's a too hard word, but but maybe we can, you know, debate more about it uh, because this system also works as a, as a filter, immigration filter system. So it's it's it was actually a, a kind of point to me when one of them told me my hearing was 30 minutes and I didn't talk about my narrative at all. Well, I did a little bit. Because before that, I was talking to the adjudicator about my profession, and I was able to present the hearing in English. So let's see this scenario. It's a woman, a young woman, professional, with a good level of English, and she only had 30 minutes of hearing. But let's see another scenario. Black woman, maybe not highly educated, and maybe not fluently in English. Five or five hours hearing. You know what I mean? Like it's that kind of contrast that is interesting to see. Okay, yeah, people need to be more aware of that. I I was expecting, for example, a lot of harm done just by waiting. It's that a lot of immigrants share the same kind of. I wouldn't call it trauma because if more for a, a permanent resident immigration, we're not up to this trauma stage. Although certain may debate on that, but yeah, just. All the other process seems quite awful to live. Yep. Yeah. And 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 let's say you finish the process, and some cases the adjudicator says to you in the same time, right there, you are being accepted or you are being rejected. Wow. Um. Yeah. It's absolutely a, a topic that will be worth debating and learning more for hours, I guess. But. Unfortunately, we kind of running out of time, so I will have to cut short on the discussion. I'm so sorry. No, but thank you. That was all super informative and very eye-opening. Definitely, yeah, and something I've never thought of being a Canadian citizen. I can't imagine the the trauma and difficulties these women have gone through. So, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much, Natalia. Okay, thank you for having me. This has been Gradcast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Clabotini, and my co-host was Carly Sharon. We've been speaking with Natalia Parra, and this episode was produced by Jordan Vandenberg. If you would like to be involved in the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcasts at sogs.ca. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at gradcastradio. To listen to us, we are on Radio Western 94.9 FM. You can also find all of our episodes on our website at gradcast.ca or on our podcast like Podbeam, iTunes, and Spotify. Alternatively, selected podcasts have been uploaded on YouTube at Gradcast Radio. Thank you for listening and have a great night. <laughs>